0: Greetings, outcasts, free thinkers, narrative questioners, dot connectors, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever realm we exist in at the moment. You are about to embark on another free first-hour episode of The Notes. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For as little as three lousy Babylon Hokey Pokey tokens per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast or click the link in the episode notes to set the process in motion. It's simple, painless, and very well might make you feel tingly inside. So without further ado, please enjoy the show! (laughs) You hear tell of secret organizations that supposedly choreograph the public theater that many find themselves getting wrapped up in. It's easy to dismiss such things as paranoid delusion until you do even a small amount of research or if you've been alive long enough to get a grasp on how things seem to work, and then you realize that it actually wouldn't be that difficult to orchestrate the affairs of the world if only you were allied with a right handful of people who were surrounded by hundreds or thousands of compartmentalized yes-men whose job was to only focus on keeping their tiny part of the machine well-oiled. We've talked about that here dozens of times. Leaders of corporations, institutions, and nations are complicit hoop-jumpers, whether they be beholden to cash, power, or by submission. That being said, none of these concepts are a far leap. So it is compelling to get the opportunity to get a peek behind the curtain, as we do today in chatting with Illuminati whistleblower Shane Sidor. Shane was born into an Illuminati bloodline, and it didn't take him too long to figure out that he wanted no part of it. Today, he is here to chat with us about how all of that unfolded and offer us a glimpse behind the scenes of one of the most influential secret societies to date. I start off the conversation by asking Shane to share with us his origin story.
1: Well, the reason why the alternative community knows me is because I wrote a blog called The Ruiner Blog which was about my experiences in, see, I used this word because it's the popular word, but um, the organization that people know as the Illuminati. Yes. Right. So um, what that is to me is kind of, um, they have a different name for themselves, but they're an umbrella organization that has been more or less controlling just about everything for the last 13,000 years. They've had um, people in positions of power Um, All the different organizations we know, like, say, Freemasons, to the military, to government, whatever that is, they have people in positions in all of those organizations. And so I kind of look at them like an umbrella organization that kind of has tentacles, if you will, in in all of it. And um, so, yeah, I was raised within that system, uh, partially because certain members of my family were already members and we have uh, the bloodline, but that's uh, kind of irrelevant today. We could get into that later, but... um, you know, we already had those ties towards it and I guess when I was a young child about three years old they started to recognize that I had what they call extrasensory perception so I can hear things a lot of people can't hear I can smell things a lot of people can't smell I can see a lot of things people can't see and so on um, and so I was brought into the organization to more or less use me for those abilities. Um, the Illuminati is based of what I call programs for what is called Programs, Projects, and Cults. So a program is uh, kind of a, a, a secret thing that they do. Projects is kind of what they take from the programs and bring into the world. And then the uh, the cults are pretty obvious, the, the various religions, the secret societies, all of those things. And um, what the programs are specifically are taking kids who have extrasensory perceptions and various... Um, you know, show various signs of that uh, ability to use more of the brain than the average person tends to do. Uh, they bring them in and they study them. They kind of teach them a little bit to nurture those abilities. And over time, they're more or less um, studying those abil- abilities, testing those abilities uh, against real things in the world, um, and so on and so on and so on. So on. There's uh, many of them. It's been going on for, you know, a lot longer than we think we've had technology as well, which is, um, the other thing that you know growing up through that system um i tell the story that the first time i ever saw like an ipad when i was four years old which was 1984 as an example gotcha so, um that technology has just been slowly rolled out to the public but uh yeah i think that's kind of the, the general overview of of what i grew up through um most of my life i was um like I was fully aware of it all where a lot of people who also experienced it weren't a lot of them were kind of drugged or, um, you know, hypnotized in some sense that made them forget what they went through or just not know what was going on, distort it in various ways, which I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, I never had that problem. I can't be hypnotized. So I'm always kind of conscious. And so what they did with me is what I call more of a dangling carrot system, which they would like, you know, track my interests. And, you know, if you do this for us, then we will, let you see this and if you do this for us then we will let you know about this and so on and you know when you're a kid and you um that's the view of the world you have is their view of the world it's you know it's a lot different than any other child who may look at that and being like no this is all wrong right like to me it was just normal and um i did for a long time have the same view of the rest of the world that they have which is that they were maybe smarter or superior or in charge of things, you know what I mean? Um, That started to go away in me between the ages of like 10 and 13. And then, uh, um, yeah, I think I I started my progression of getting out of the organization when I was 19. And it actually took until I was 26 before I was kind of officially out. Uh, We could maybe get into the details of that. But um, yeah, I, I wrote the blog in my early 30s. So a while after all of that, but the blog was um, something I wrote for. uh, It started with 13 people and ended up being 20, 21, 22 people. By the end of it, that I've, I know personally, like people who actually live in pretty close proximity to me, I was doing things like getting together with, for coffee with them to try and help them make sense of their, their experiences. Um, I was writing a lot of emails. It was getting really chaotic. So one of them had actually made the suggestion of doing a stylized blog and just putting it up and they could all go on and read it um i didn't really think about it although i was worried i was aware of the alternative community i didn't really think anyone would find it but um unfortunately they did and it went from you know uh, 13 to 20 readers overnight to thousands of readers uh, all of a sudden and uh i was still in the middle of writing it so i still had i I adopted, adapted to the exposure of it as well and, and continued writing with, with that in mind. But um, once it was done, I did agree to do some interviews. The first one was with, I guess, Project Camelot. And uh, I guess the rest is history from there. Um, the rest of it's called, all kind of documented online. I've kind of been in and out of the alternative community because, to be honest, the way that I see things is very divergent to a lot of other um, quote-unquote whistleblowers that are out there. And I don't want to fight with people and I'm not here to change anyone's minds or anything like that. Right. So um, I've just learned to kind of uh, create my own space and people who would like to listen to me talk are, are welcome to. And if people like yourself would like to ask me questions, you're welcome to. Um, but uh, I'm not, you know, sitting on top of a, a podium saying everyone needs to know this right yes, now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, so, yeah.
0: So, yeah, but you were adopted. Am I correct?
1: I was. Well, I had my natural mother, but my my uh, my biological father was out of the picture before. Oh, okay. Technically, before I was even born, but gotcha. officially before I was a year old, and then I was uh, I was adopted by my stepfather when I was six, because he wanted me to have the same last name as uh, my two younger brothers, which were his children.
0: Gotcha. So
2: did you? So uh, where were your parents in this? What what was their involvement?
1: Well, it was my mother's family. Um, My father was gone. So my mother, you know, was... Um, even to this day, I actually just recently started having these conversations with her because she didn't know. She didn't know what was going on with me. What she saw was that I was kind of a problem child, and I would spend most of my time living with her great her aunt, so my great aunt, mm. which was a, a few towns away. And um, I would spend anytime I wasn't in school, like in regular public school, I was pretty much always at my aunt's house. And that was, um, you know, from the view, like I, I live with one of my brothers, my brothers know about all this stuff now, but they did. Growing up, right? Mm. So, I I told them all when I was in my twenties, or told them when I was in my twenties, and it made sense to them of like, oh, that's why you were involved with this whole side of our family that we don't know, right? Mm. And that's why you were gone all the time, Mm. right? But that's what what was going on is, um, I had like a a regular family which kind of works like a cover, right? Yeah, I still had to go to regular public school which also works like a cover, but you know, there would be like if you've got five days of school in a week, I might go three. Right? And two of those days I was going somewhere else. And, um, you know, there was a deal with the school, there was a deal with my parents. There was, everyone was informed of something to excuse where I was, yeah, yeah. right. I'm um, not really understanding the the breadth of it, mm-hmm. even the aunt that I lived with. And, uh, that, that went on for years, like, um, pretty much my, the whole time I, I was, I was going through these things as a kid, I was always staying at her house. She eventually figured it out and, um, they had to move me to a different place because she pulled a butcher knife on my parents one time where they came tried to pick me up because she thought that they were somehow involved so wow it was really just a matter of like giving people you know logical explanations for things like oh we're just gonna take him because um you know we're gonna take him to a camp he's he's gonna learn about this right right um you know if you don't really know what's going on we didn't have the internet back then it wasn't uh you know Uh, Nobody was having the dialogue about how these things would have worked back then. So why would you question it? You'd just be like, oh, that's really nice if you go ahead, right? And they're my family members a lot of the time, right? Or friends of the family, people that they know. So there's nothing really to question. You're just, okay, he's going. Yeah, And I mean, like, obviously coming back with scars and bruises and things like that would have to be explained in various ways, but that could also be explained as, Oh, we tripped and fell, you know, the same thing an abusive uh, or a, an abused woman might say um, right. when, when they're going through those things. Right. So it's all actually pretty easy to explain. Um, especially when I was really young, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Especially when I was just a kid uh, when I first tried to get out, I was about 13. That was the first time I realized um. That was because I was obviously going through puberty. So the way that I was being used was also transitioning quite a bit. I'm not going to go into, I don't want to go into too much detail about what sure. I mean by that, but I'm sure your imagination can understand. Mm-hmm. It kind of turned into more having things done to me than them expecting me to do things to other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when it got to that point, I was like, I'm just not going to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I might've tolerated it being done to me, but I'm not going to do that to other people.
3: Yeah.
1: And it was the the kind of force that they were implying that made me try to, you know, basically become a whistleblower at 13 years old be like go tell my doctors go tell the first police officer that I could find uh, tell a couple family members tell a bunch of people kind of all at once mm. trying to get you know the the media involved or the police involved or whatever I didn't know what the fuck I was doing I was 13 yeah. right but sure. um you know uh the police officer died the doctor died um and so on so um I, I learned really quickly that The danger isn't to me. If I talk about these things, the danger is to the people I talk to it, talk about it too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, obviously these people are people I cared about, so I didn't want that.
2: Sure. Well, and the public didn't have the internet back then. (laughs) Like the government probably had the internet.
1: (laughs) that's, That's it. Right. And like, um, I can't mention the name, but I was even introduced to a psychologist back then who's quite famous now in like kind of mainstream psychology because of the work that he's done. Um, But I I can remember like meeting him back then because that was one of the people that they had come to interview me to see if I was even telling the truth about what I was going through. Mm. Um, And now he's done like a quite a bit of work in cults and and stuff like that. So, Mm. but yeah, it was, it, it just became real evident very quickly that, um, you know, there was no whistleblowing at that point, like uh, everything was so controlled that it didn't matter who I told it would get back to them somehow. And, you know, a lot of the technology that we see today for monitoring, they already did have back then. Mm-hmm. Too, right. They were just um, a little bit more controlled with it. Not everyone was carrying a cell phone, but, right. you know, um, businesses would have uh, CCTV cameras and they would have access to that even back then so um, tracking people it was a little bit more primitive than what they can do today but they mm. could do that so there wasn't a lot of uh, avenues for me to do that so at that point in time I kind of just resigned to this is my life mm. right because I'm, I'm not able to get out and um, kind of continued on um, at that time they did kind of change things or things changed for me quite dramatically because they started grooming me to be one of them mm. Mm. as opposed to just using me in the way that they had and so you know life changed for me dramatically and I was still like you know interacting with the real world like going to a public school I, I went to a public high school although it seems like I dropped out in like the 10th grade because I just couldn't uh, I couldn't juggle both anymore yeah, yeah. Mm. um I've been living on my own since I was 15 because of all of that as well, and uh, also problems at home. That's the other part of this is like my home life, like the surface life, if you want to call it that, the Mm -hmm. the regular life. That's a Jerry Springer episode in and of itself. So um, I don't think that is is disconnected, but, you know, that instability is basically it is. I never had stability to hold on to to do anything about what they were doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it just made sense. They were my stability. And so of course I, kind of had to go along with it. Sure. And it was, um, it wasn't until I had, um, I became a father really young. My oldest was born when I was 18 and that was when I, I kind of realized like something has to be done because otherwise they're going to do that to them as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was when I started the transition to get out.
0: Well, how did you get on We'll call them the Illuminati for the sake of the discussion. How did you get on their radar to begin with?
1: Um, Well, just, you know, kind of obviously the family involvement. Um, So the stories that got told, I guess the first thing was like I was um, like I showed signs of autism when I was young. I would walk on my toes. I was um, nonverbal. And then I guess one day a relative came into bedroom and found me sitting in the corner of my room looking at the wall. And I was reciting all of the dialogue to the movie of the never ending story. As if I was watching the movie on the wall and repeating everything I was saying. Wow. And that was when they were like, oh, there's something weird about him. <laughs> and um, it was a pretty close family member, like a uh, close to my mother family member who was involved very highly in all of this. So it didn't take long for him to find out. And um And then, yeah, uh, I told the story. It's in the blog. I've told it other times. I'll repeat it now. And it's kind of okay because the location itself has been dissolved. But um, I was taken to Marineland and introduced to my first handler when I was uh, three or four years old, probably just before my fourth birthday or the summer before my fourth birthday. Um, And yeah, that was I was brought at that point in time to my first underground facility, which Mm. was underneath Marine land at the time, um, a lot of it is still there, but they destroyed it right before they let Paul de Merce come out public and uh, uh, talk about Blackfish. I don't know if you guys ever saw that documentary. No. No. Yes, know oh you that, but, yes, God. But yeah, um, that was one of their ways because I had already written about it in the blog. That was one of their ways of covering up everything that was actually going on there was by giving the public something to sink their teeth into, oh, yeah. right? Less, while they got rid of what they were actually doing under there, but what it was was one of those type of program facilities. Mm. And so I was brought there, like I said, when I was uh, that young and um, they tested me very similar, like well, you imagine, like running a psychic through tests to see if I actually right. was, um, you know, capable of these things. I, I can remember them putting it was almost like a uh, one of those things that you see at an optometrist mm-hmm. in front of my face to test my eyes. And a bunch of different things again i was a little kid i don't really remember all of it i can just remember it was strange i was going through all these tests nobody was really explaining anything to me but it was also during that experience where like you know to occupy me while they were off discussing the results of all those tests they had handed me my first ipad mm-hmm. and i was playing a little uh, fishing video game on it so, so is it
2: um, is it common that they use places like that like you know, there's, there's stories about Disneyland and Disney World. Are they using these facilities as a cover? And then underneath there's tunnels and things going on?
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, We know about it. And again, in a lot of the The more famous thing, then you also got to think about what went on during the Cold War, where they built a shit ton of underground bases all over the United States and Canada and all over the world, right?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And obviously nothing came of that. So what are we going to use that for, for the rest of the 90s and early 2000s? Well, we might as well use those as programming facilities. And um, so it's all kind of... uh, we're aware of MK Ultra now. That's mm-hmm. been kind of uh, you know, declassified to an extent. And, of course, with the whole, oh, it didn't work, so we stopped it kind of caveat on the end right. of it, right?
3: <laughs> Which that's means not they true. changed it the did name. Work.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it did work. It worked very well. And yeah. they have even more advanced mes- methods of doing that mm-hmm. type of programming on people. Mm-hmm. And that's what the programs were essentially all for, was to learn how to do that. On a global scale. Right. And um, so one thing I, I say is that the entire public has been MK ultrad pretty much since the 80s. Yeah. Right. And now we're also moving into, um, you know, being kind of simulated. We're getting normalized with the idea of like simulations and uh, VR and AR and all of this stuff that's coming along with it which is how they were programming us in these programs, Mm -hmm. right? The combination of uh, the other side of it is also the psychedelic research. That's also, you know, very mainstream now that all comes from those programs as well. Right. So it's, again, they're just bringing the components for the programming that they did to us kids into the world to start doing to everybody. Right. And normalize it.
2: Right. I'd say it, it would even go back as far as the forties, like the, this stuff Perfect. really, really started to happen after, well, in the midst of World War II.
1: Yeah, that's when it started turning, turning into technology. Mm. Right? Because a lot of it, like um, I talk all about the, the difference between magic and technology, mm. and even that phrase that we got through Arthur C. Clarke of technology, that it is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an agenda, right? right? We as human beings are capable of what we would call magic. Mm. and they know that and that's what that extrasensory perception is right and so that's what they've been studying and that's what they've been trying to hide because that gives us our power back right yes, exactly so If they can mimic all of those abilities with technology mm-hmm. then you don't even question whether or not you can do them without the technology exactly exactly you just rely on the technology and they control the technology yes right so they also understood that eventually humans would start kind of evolving let's say waking mm-hmm. up people like to say ascending rising in consciousness right and kind of getting in tune with the fact that you know our planet is a living organism everything we share life here is living and we're connected to it all exactly. in this way that we don't perceive they knew that we would get in contact with that so what's the best way to make sure that we don't notice it just a massive boom in the technology like yeah. let's cut people off of objective reality as fast as we can exactly let's feed them everything we can to move make- Reality totally subjective, and you get to just pick your own truth and run with it. And then we'll add a technology on top of that that supports that way of thinking, right? And uh, that's exactly what they've done over my lifetime. And it's even funny because I wrote the blog almost nine years ago now, and um, I like I, I laid out what was their plan at the time, and that's mm-hmm. literally what we've seen happen over the last two years, and continues to happen. Something that I would constantly say, like one of the ways that I diverge from a lot of whistleblowers is I said a lot of this stuff didn't really happen; it happened in secret space, which is right here in our head right right it's not out there in outer space it's right here in our head exactly and um, this is how it's been programmed and ever since i've said that we now have all the components for that in the real world right now we Mm -hmm. have the vr technology we have the um there's even a, a i think it's in boston a university studying dmt in a slow drip uh, mm-hmm. method instead of you smoking it which only lasts about 12 minutes they can do a slow drip method, method which makes it last about 12 hours and while they're doing that they're recording everyone's experiences and comparing them to themselves and realizing that that's a little dimension that we all slip into and it's the same dimension yeah. right. that we all slip into when we go to right so there's your kind of like um multiverses and, and everything else that comes along with it and even like um you know, a lot of whistleblowers would talk about future technology or seeing the future what is that other than the algorithms that we're all experiencing on social media these days
2: exactly
1: oh like I said it's really just that they've it's been a technology versus magic thing they don't want us to be in our magic so they're replacing it all with technology normalizing that it started with the programs which is what your whistleblowers are talking about mm -hmm. in their own um, uh, recollection of it, and then now all those programs, all that MK Ultra, and everything that they learned from it is all just being done to everybody.
2: I would say that the chaos that you were talking about in your family life, just to kind of circle back to that for a moment, really speaks to the fact that there is an energy a morphogenic feel that we are all connected to. And so your family is feeling this energy that that you are experiencing, and they're not able necessarily to communicate that because they're living in this screen reality, but they can't, these folks can't control energy. So there's something else that's going on that everyone's perceiving but they can't really quite grasp what it is. And so it creates a lot of chaos.
1: uh, It was actually just recently that I was having a conversation about this with my mother and at a level. And, you know, she always said she doesn't understand where I came from because my, the, from her perception, my level of intelligence is is much greater than hers or my father's, and mm. she doesn't know where I get it. If sure. that makes sense,
0: yeah, yeah, right? right.
1: And um, so there was a lot of that. And Even with, like same thing with like my brothers. They're like we've always known them. there was something different, right. And then on the level that you're saying, yeah, like, I mean, we all have this field of energy around us. Uh, the Heart Math Institute has quantified this. So I'm mm-hmm. not just talking metaphysics purely, but like it sends and receives information. So, you know, stay six feet apart because that bubble around us is about six feet in, yeah. like, you know, width or three meters in diameter. So, um, you know, that when we're near each other of course we're exchanging stuff on that um the nurture the training that I had obviously I was taught to not allow that like I've been taught how to psychically block myself from other people since I was like six Mm -hmm. so um I've been you know obviously encouraged to shut off my connection to that field around them Mm -hmm. um not to say that it wouldn't still influence them because I fully believe that it would but Um, On top of the fact that I think we all kind of have those feelings just living in this world because it's the truth that we are living divergent to truth, right? And therefore everything feels wrong. And then the other part of it too, is I think that that's also kind of steered to be an extra level of chaos around me, right? right? It was all very human things that were going on, but Mm -hmm. it was like, it was too much for any one person all at once. right? Right. um, Going back to that psychologist I mentioned earlier, I remember telling him about, like that part of my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, because he he didn't believe the other part, obviously. So he wanted to hear, like, what was actually going on. And when I told him, he still kind of sat back and he was like, Man, if we had a supercomputer that could read serial killers based on their life experiences, we ran your life through it nine out of 10 times, that's splitting out a serial killer. The fact that you're wow. so well put together is kind of a miracle. So that's kind of an example. And I do think that that was on purpose. I think it's kind of set up in a way, obviously, for the destabilization I mentioned earlier, but mm-hmm. also to kind of test me sure right so like they would and I can remember this quite clearly ask me a lot about what went on at home mm. when I would go to these camps right they were like yeah. so how was your week you know what I mean like there would be almost like a debriefing right. um, little segment that I would always do before I got back into my program right mm. so um, and again that was different for me because a lot of the kids involved with that like it like you know they were being Just as an example, allergy shots in Canada was a big way to draw these kids into doctor's offices that also had ways of sneaking them out back doors to drop them into these things, right? Mm -hmm. We think about it because especially the people who've been through it, like it feels like you've been in things that went on for days. But that's another part of the technology we're starting to learn is that they can kind of condense days into a few minutes if they want to. Right? So, um, uh, you know, you go in for your allergy shot, your mom would be in the waiting room and they would just sneak you through a little back door right and then do whatever they were going to do bring you out and you know you've been turned on and off in the middle of that your mom has no idea what's going on Mm. with you so you just go home like it didn't even happen right so um my experience with it was never that it was always like I knew what was going on Mm -hmm. when I was put into simulations I usually knew um what exactly the simulation was going to be before I would even get into it sometimes they would deliberately not tell me right Mm -hmm but I would always know it was a simulation and then I would wake up out of it and it would be like this world again. And I'd be like, okay, that's what it was. But honestly, while you're in it, you don't remember that it's so real that you forget that there is another world out there. You don't think you're not really doing the thing you're doing. So that's why I understand for the people who've been, you know, drugged into those situations and hypnotized into those situations where I wasn't why their memory of it isn't clear. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I also study psychology and on like the mainstream level, I understand how the memory works quite well. Mm-hmm. And every time we recall something, we rewrite it, right? We rewrite it and we put it away again. Yeah. So, you know, if we have a memory in our heads and someone says something on the Internet that triggers that memory, we then bring it forward. We connect it to what they've said and then we put it away again.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: then when we bring it forward again, it's now like irrevocably connected to what that person said about it. Yeah. Right. So over time of recalling that memory, we start to believe that what they said was the truth. You know, even going back to like Betty and Barney Hill, I used to work for a company called SciCan, And so I had all of the declassified documents for stuff like alien abduction stories and hauntings and all that kind of stuff. So got to read through like, you know, the diaries of Emily Rose as an example and everything and Elizabeth Warren ever did all of that type of stuff. But the Betty and Barney Hill situation for three full days they gave about 11 or 12 interviews not once did they uh, mention aliens Mm. and then they brought in a hypnotist who specialized in alien memory regression and suddenly their story was aliens yeah and that's the first one the world ever heard right Mm. they didn't hear about the first 12 recounts they only heard about aliens and everything forward interesting so what do you
2: what do you think happened in that situation with the hills
1: well the military has been running what they call my labs yes military abductions for Mm -hmm. a really long time they've Mm -hmm. been doing various things and one you know um you know, if you go back in history, we used to have demon possessions and the old hag and mm-hmm. all of those things with like sleep paralysis and, you know, feeling like you were taken somewhere and all of those things involved with that. But it was always demons and and mm-hmm. things associated with what we know as religions, right? This is exactly the same thing, only now we have the idea of aliens to put in place of that. So mm-hmm. the military played up on that, where they would do things like even wear rubber masks. Um, they have other technology that are like, almost like biological drones that they could shape to look like little gray aliens if they wanted to go that far with someone but a lot of it is again, again the 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 hypnotic expression and the the memory retrieval issue mm. because and it's funny because a lot of whistleblowers use the phrase screen memories Mm -hmm. and and basically what the idea of that is like putting someone on a highly suggestible drug with a screen in front of their face and just letting that loop right and that's what gets stuck in their memory right so um and then the power of suggestion right um we saw this through the satanic panic we've seen this many many times where you know people take advantage of a hypnotic state of a person and put ideas in their heads mm. you know it doesn't even take hypnotism it we can do this to each other you know just through repetition like hitler did with his entire populace right sure. so um that that's you know kind of what went on in that situation was they've got convinced that it wasn't the military because the Military would have to explain that, shit. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, right. if it's space aliens, then the military doesn't have to explain anything, they can just, it's not ours, we don't know what it is. They're doing the same thing right now with U- UAPs, as they're calling them, yeah. Right? We, they're not ours, we don't know what they are, right? Mm. If, if they truly didn't know what they were, they wouldn't say anything,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's true, very true. So, how did you finally? extricate yourself from this and how are you is it that you're able to talk to us about it for instance
1: well i have certain rules that i I keep to Mm -hmm. um locations and names i'm not allowed to do um i've slipped up like i brought up the marine lane thing because that was a mistake i made pretty early on um again not thinking that it was going to become public the way that it did um And got in trouble for that one. But so like that's uh, one of them is now that I am talking, I was never supposed to talk about it. That was a a rule that I broke right from the beginning, obviously. Um, But because they understood what my intention was, that I was talking to other people that they also released, Mm. that was actually okay. And then the happenstance that you guys all found it they kind of gave me a pass on, I guess <laughs> it's kind of the way that I've figured it out. Is like, I, I didn't intentionally go out to do this. I have spoken to whistleblower um, researchers in this field before mm. off the record. And like, um, you know, the, the one that kind of made me infamous, if you will, being, you know, Corey good and his connection to, to the cosmic disclosure. Yeah. I was talking to David Wilcock at exactly the same time. And I was the first person he asked to do that show. Oh, wow. Right. And I had said no. And, then they went with the Corey thing. But, um, you know, if I had have said yes at that point, I would have gotten in trouble. Mm. But I didn't. And then I, I didn't because of said rules. So going back to right when, you know, I, I wanted out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to explain why they would even consider it to begin with, but they kind of pick and choose their battles when it comes to letting people out sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's just very much a system of, okay, well, if you want out, then you have to do this for us first, right? You have to give us all of these different ways in which we would be able to discredit you if you ever did try Mm. to go lower. So we need you to do this. We need you to do this. We need you to do this.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. These are the rules of what you could do and can't do moving Mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. And so on. And that's a process. Like I said, that started when I was 19. It didn't end until I was about 26 and still was kind of lingering until I was like 30, 31. Um, But for me, what my job was, was to work for an organization that collected information about paranormal activity and alien abductions. Mm -hmm. So basically going around and um, collecting physical evidence. Um, interviewing people, things of that nature, very much like an X-Files type thing. In fact, that's where Chris Carter got the idea from the X-Files is because there was organizations like mine out there doing that. What the X-Files were was essentially just a database that was connected between all of the different intelligence organizations everywhere Mm -hmm. that everyone would have access to. So in the TV show, they show you you that, but it's just the FBI, like an internal thing but that's not true it's it's all of them the CIA has access to the the military you know the Mossad everywhere else in the world they all have uh, the same files so we had access to all of those same files and we added to them Mm. that was part of what we were doing and so what we were told was and part of the reason why I was actually kind of happy to go along with it when they told it to me I was like oh great this is all I have to do to get out awesome was we were going to collect all of this information like physical evidence Mm
3: -hmm.
1: to prove the existence of you know the soul outside of the body, life after death, um, even the the kind of truth behind of alien abduction, like the the military versus what might actually be happening in the in reality, um, all of that information for a re-education process program for schools. And so basically we were sent out to get all of this stuff, gather it into a big pile, and what they were going to do with it was write it into an education system so they could teach all of you guys about this stuff. So from my perspective, Thank you. That sounds great. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that wasn't the point. It was to get all that information all in one place, digitize mm-hmm. it first of all, and then destroy all of the physical things associated with it. Wild. Right. So basically put it in a vault and the X-Files was coming out around the same time which I didn't notice because I never watched it and I wasn't really paying attention to TV in that kind of world at the time. I I recently watched The X-Files like uh, last year, I guess, and was just blown away because we used to talk to Chris Carter. We used to talk to David Duchovny. We used to talk Mm. to them about what we were doing and the cases we would have. And seeing how many of them became fiction
3: Mm. was
1: like really my kind of wake up to, oh, this is what you were really doing, was you were getting us to bury it. Right. Right. It wasn't the re-education, but, you know, I was, a, I was a good little kitten. I did my job and uh, they were happy. So here's your release. Here are the rules. And, um, you know, everything you benefited from through our organization, we're taking that all back now. So they actually left my transcript for uh, my schooling look like I had uh, dropped out of the tenth grade about halfway through the tenth grade. Meanwhile, I had gone to university. (laughs) Like there's people at the university who know me. I ended up getting an honorary degree because the university recognized. Like, where did your degree go? This doesn't make sense, right? My medical records got fucked with. My dental records got messed with. My bank account got drained because I was making very good money working for them. Obviously, Uh and I went down to wow right so um, it seems yeah.
2: like on some level they they aren't concerned about being exposed certain degrees of information being exposed because they're in in such a position of power that the ego is like we're unstoppable this has been going on for thousands of years what the fuck are people going to do about it so it seems like getting you out it's more like just fucking with you and not like, oh, don't talk about us because they perceive that no one is going to be able to do anything.
1: Well, they they do know that. And part of what I spoke about in the blog was like they're doing that with everything because they understood like they were basically changing over their system. Mm. If you want to call what they were doing the Illuminati, I call what they do now the Umbrella Corporation, mm. which is. And if you've looked, if you notice, the corporations and all the tech giants and everything like that have now exceeded all of those other powers of control that we knew in that old pyramid system, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. That the corporations are now in control, and that's kind of like a changing of the guard, if you will, mm. um, through their system. And I knew that that was happening. like that was already well in motion while I was writing the blog, and I I, I wrote it into the blog because that was what I was trying to tell my intent audience the original group of people Mm -hmm. was that we're going to get to see all of this stuff come out the public in the next few years Mm -hmm. you know it's at the same time all the alternative community is running the idea of disclosure which Mm -hmm. obviously was supposed to be about us finding about aliens and our, our space fleets in space but you know we did get our disclosure like i said we would it would come as the path of discoveries which is what they called it so the idea of slowly releasing things to the public as if we just discovered this yeah right exactly But if you think about how long any of the technology that they're using to just discover that, it's about 14 years they must have known, right? Before Mm -hmm. they could have just discovered it. So that, you know, proof in the result of my story, because I can't prove my story, but, you know, the fact that things are playing out exactly the way I said they do would um, is, you know, proof in the result, as I say. And yeah, uh, we are getting that disclosure. They are admitting things. They're doing things like throwing Jeffrey Epstein under the bus to expose their own pedophilia rings. They're using things like the QAnon program to expose other nasty shit that they've been doing, and also make it seem absurd, right? And kind Mm. of create a new narrative for it, and and in such a way that like we can talk about it all we want, but what are we actually doing about it? Nothing.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. So right now we're all spouting out all, all their dirty laundry, but. No one's doing anything about it because 50% of the people who are talking about it are also crazy. You know yeah, what I right. mean? Exactly. Like In the way that they act out, I don't mean that they're actually crazy people. They act crazy. Right. right? And that makes it look insane to the average person when exactly. they're just getting into it. Right. Mm-hmm. We've just seen it again with the lollipop that they've been giving people over the last couple of years. Right. Like, mm. you know, the insanity, the turning people against each other. And mm. they relied on that. And like uh, that series of, throwing people under the bus publicly, like uh, Harvey Weinstein as well, to kind of expose that system and how it was working. You know, they pick out one person, throw them under a bus, everyone shuts up. And it works. And, and that's exactly what they've been doing. And I don't think they're done yet, either. I think that we'll continue to see that because it'll keep feeding that kind of opium drip that people like you and me would maybe have watching this thinking, oh, great, they're all falling apart, right? They want to give us that kind of illusion that it's crumbling because they want to. It's like destroying Rome to build the next kingdom. Yeah. It's right. exactly where they're at right now.
0: And maybe it's the size of audience too. Maybe if you were going on Oprah or Joe Rogan or something like that, then yeah. their their ears might prick up a little bit more than say our podcast, for instance.
1: Perhaps, but yeah, like um, you know, even the Joe Rogan thing. Like I had, I had talked about how the media was going to change, and Joe Rogan is a perfect example of for how sure. the media has changed. Yes, right. Like that's more news than CNN is mm-hmm. now. Yeah, for people.
0: Right. So and the. Uh, the conspiracy theory label is so airtight now, thanks to Trump, that everybody can be lumped into that who's talking anything remotely outside of the of the main narrative that we're supposed to be paying attention to, and you get labeled as a right-wing conspiracy theorist. So the minute you utter a syllable that is different than that what they want you to say, then you get lumped into there and then completely seen as illegitimate and forgotten about.
1: And these new talking heads are are changing conspiracy theory. They're admitting that conspiracy theory has been bastardized, and they're turning it into incompetence theory. They're trying to make us believe that all of these people are just so incompetent that they make these massive errors that look like a conspiracy. Yes, right. Mm. And so that's what their function is. And Joe Rogan's uh, an amazing example of it. If you listen to him debate, he plays on both sides brilliantly, which is important. Like I'm not talking shit about Joe Rogan. I don't think there's anything wrong with him as a man. I just I can see how this is being used is because he does open up both sides but he still falls onto its incompetence Mm. it's these people just being stupid they're not organized enough to make this kind of plan in this type of long-term setting right and i can understand that when you're dealing with like individuals today like if i was having sitting down having a conversation with justin trudeau there's no fucking way i would think that that dude was involved with anything (laughs) you know what i mean? Right. you know, right. And, and that's the way that it works. And they relied on all of that. That's optics that they've, they've put forward.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, we're, we're right in the middle of it. And it just continues to, continues to play out. Um, and it, I, I'm getting to the point now with based on what I wrote and what I said was going to happen. I'm at this point now where I really hope I'm wrong
3: mm-hmm. because
1: I've been right up to this point, right. It's, it's, it's happened too much. Cause where that ends, I don't want to see, <laughs> Right. Yeah, and yeah. um, but here we are now.
0: Well, I'm assuming that you had handlers once you got taken into the organization. What exactly, who were they? I don't, I don't mean names, but like what kind of personages were they and what was their job?
1: Well, uh, my first handler was the, the, the I, I guess I was more like a pet to him, if that makes sense. Um, he did not He didn't really tell me much or teach me much right? Like he wasn't in a bunch of ideas. He was using me for things and he was doing things to me. Um, again, I'm not going to feed your imagination with what I mean by that. I'm sure you understand. Yes, But um, he was kind of like, you know, the classic narcissistic handler of like abusing you one minute and building you up the next, mm. abusing you, building you up, building. And that was what the handler is meant to do is basically be your destabilization program so mm-hmm. you're always kind of in that place just like any narcissistic abuse victim would be mm-hmm. where you're constantly on that like looking like I'm I'm going back to him because I want the good stuff that he can give me you know yeah, what I mean right and, um so he was my handler until I was about 13 and then and and did what I did he was a public figure so um I it could have, I I used his name, I I started screaming his name from the, from, so they, they had to take me away from him. And I was given to a, a a more potent handler, which was one that was actually meant to start grooming me,
3: Mm.
1: start kind of teaching me how to think and how to feel about things um, in order to lead to a specific uh, world event, which um, ironically we're actually at right now. She was Russian. And uh, that's about all I'll say about that, that sure. for, for now. Um, and so I, I was raised to kind of uh, play a role in something that they have, were planning back then that is happening now involving that part of the world. Um, so that was what her job was, was a little bit more um, like a teacher, like a little bit more like a, someone who was instilling ideas into me, uh, mm-hmm. grooming me. Right. And then the other guy who was more of just that. Um, yeah. A narcissistic type relationship Sure. Um, when I was 19 and I was getting out they actually gave me to a third person and he kind of worked more like a mentor like he never abused me Um, I'm sure he lied to me a shit ton but um, he never actually hurt me in any sort of way he allowed me to be hurt so he kind of facilitated that but he never actually did anything wrong to me but he was also a very um, wise mentor like he knew a lot he knew a lot about a lot of different things so I was able to learn a lot from them and a lot of the reason what they would do with me was things like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, if you do this for us, then we'll do that. And I'm a very curious person, um, you know, when it came to like what happened in this situation, what is that? Where are these things? Were these things real? How about this? Right. So, you know what I mean? I had a lot of questions and that was what they would use as the dangling carrot for me. It's like, okay, you give us six months, and then we'll take you to this place. and We'll tell you the truth about this. Right. Mm. And, um, Yeah, so the I took full advantage of that in the in the years that I was getting out as well, where I was like, um, I knew I still had access to these different places, so I would go around, and so the basic role that they were grooming me for and probably why I was so conscious for all of it is because they wanted me to understand how it all worked and how it all fit together because they wanted me to be a part of the next version of it which is this umbrella corporation that I'm talking about Mm. so they wanted me to fully understand how everything had worked to get them to that point Mm -hmm. right so they they gave me all of that that's why I know it And, um, they just rely on the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm not on Joe Rogan and I'm not on any of those things. And even if I was like, Joe Rogan's not going to take me seriously. like, yeah. I'd probably get along with him if we had a conversation about it, but he wouldn't believe anything I said. Right. Sure. And he would, he would argue with me and there would be no way for me to get his Jamie guy to pull up the facts to have, to back me up. Cause those <laughs> facts don't exist. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, they, they know that they rely on that. The other thing that they rely on is the fact that this community does what it does, which is create a whole lot of fantasy to go along with all of these topics, right? Like they they really saw that with the QAnon thing where like, you know, they a little bit of information about the Pizzagate. Like if you talk to any reasonable people, they're like, yeah, those emails are pretty fucking suspicious, but Pizzagate seems crazy, right? So that's an example.
2: Yeah. So how does that work uh, when we're talking about disinformation? Is there what what you're what I'm gleaning from what you're saying is that there is a shred of truth to these situations but it's really used as a distraction from what's actually happening
1: exactly Exactly. Like they, people stumble onto things all the time. Right. And so back before the internet, if you imagine how this worked, it was like, you know, basements and libraries or conference rooms that people brought, booked out to try and talk about conspiracy theories and stuff. And so it was nothing to just send an actual agent, like someone from that actual organization to those places, befriend the person speaking, right. tell them some truth. Right. Um, it's the same thing that like, I remember when I was talking, because I've, I've spoken to them too, um, on both sides. Of that fence, like how easy it is to go to someone like David Wilcock and you know be a whistleblower and give them a bunch of information because then he's going to go start talking about it at conferences, right? And it becomes there's like a lore building along with this community, if you know what I mean. And I I say that for people who've played maybe D i d or any type of RPG video game, there's like a lore building that's gone along with all of this too, where you know even if someone you know people come out and they. tell an experience and they've got you know a certain alien species or something connected with that even if we were to discredit that person that experience still becomes part of the lore and the next person piggybacks on that right right? and it's like what i because of the effect that i was talking about with the memory earlier and the way that we process it they've understood that they only have to put like little bits and pieces of data which can't even be true in here and there and then rely on us making stuff up on top of it and oh, yeah. then that compounding. And also understanding how people will naturally follow each other as well. Mm. And then when you get into the, like clicks, people don't want to step on each other's uh, toes like uh, one of the reasons I stopped giving um, interviews in this alternative media circuit is because <laughs> I got into some of those group calls where they're like okay well don't talk about this because it goes against what I'm saying here and you don't talk about that because it, it's like guys you are crafting a fucking story this is disgusting
3: Wild. I'm out
1: <laughs> right and I took off for two years because of that because I'm seeing way too much of that people were like sending me scripts of questions
3: mm-hmm. and I was like
1: What are we doing here? Like, are we putting on a show? Exactly. Is this CNN? Like, what what are we doing here? So, like, I, you know, it's they've relied on the human nature basically to build this community into something that a lot of people are just going to throw out wholesale, right? Like that baby with the bathwater expression. And yes, if you were to pick through it all, you'd be able to find the truth. But who's got the time for that? Who's got the mental capacity for that? Who's yeah. got the discernment and the, the suppression of ego for that? Yeah. Not many people. And I, I see evidence of that every day. Sure.
2: Yeah. I feel that with people like David Ike and Alex Jones, uh, what, what are your thoughts about these folks being controlled opposition?
1: Well, even just, they don't even need to be controlled. Like they don't need someone from the CIA to go to Alex Jones and, be like hey buddy we'll give you x amount of dollars if you you know shut up about this thing they can just get someone that alex jones trusts to go to him and be like you know that's not real right and alex jones will go oh okay or like you know kind of what we saw with uh, like what he's what's going on with him right now where you know he the only way to manipulate someone is to find something that is manipulable about them Right, mm. something that they're really passionate about something that you know will get them fired up and get them activated and with someone like alex watch him for a, a, <laughs> a, you know, six days and you can find one
3: yeah, right exactly. so it,
1: it doesn't really require them being on any type of payroll mm. it's about the influence um i had recorded an interview for an organization at one point in time it was with professor griff from public enemy oh yeah public enemy they were doing something like whistleblowing at at the time right and then they also kind of got discredited because they put a bunch of information forward that turned out to be a lot of bullshit Mm -hmm. and it it hurt the band and he was explaining to me how these people would come up to him with like dossiers and hand them to him and be like this is the truth about jesus this is the truth about this this is the truth about that and then they, they would go and they'd read them and obviously write lyrics about them and so all it took was someone handing him a dossier full of bullshit right? (laughs) You know, Alex Jones, David Icke, any of these people would be subject to exactly the same thing, right? They don't need to be controlled opposition, the fact that they're like paid for and they're put out there for that purpose. Mm -hmm. The the purpose was already there, someone was going to step up to fill the need. And at that point in time, they're just a target because it's like, you know, well, he seems a little bit crazy in this way, let's just feed him some information that will get him even more in that way, right? And so you see things in David Icke's a perfect example because he's kind of done this through a bunch of different topics over the years because he's kind of had to. Right. right? And exactly. And and that that's kind of how it has worked. And at this point, it's like uh, one of those set and forget type things, because you know, whether they can just you know, like the Russians throwing out Tartaria last year and and sitting back and laughing at that one and just watching the American alternative community, there's a whole other spawn of a different story backing up on that lore. But what people forget is when you're building lore, like if you build a house on top of a foundation that's not really there, then your fa- house doesn't actually have a foundation and your lore is just fantasy, yeah. right? right? So if you start spiraling all these stories back to their origin... You start to realize that where we're at right now is ninety percent fantasy with all of these things, and and while that's happening, the one hundred percent reality we're all being indoctrinated into very slowly.
2: I actually heard uh, Annie Jacobson talk on Joe Rogan about this, and she said, you know, she had these. Uh, CIA agents that were feeding her information for her book about Area 51 and Phenomenon. And she said there would be some points where she would be thinking, like, is this person just trying to confuse me or lie to me and kind of send me down this primrose path so that I don't really find out what's going on? So it sounds like that again, that this is happening, and the ego is uh, infrastructure is so entrenched that they don't give a shit if you believe it or not. They they just are planting the seeds, and then they step back and kind of observe what people uh, take a, a hold of and what people let go.
1: Exactly, exactly. They've planted a bunch of seeds out there. We've watered them. And um, now we're kind of lost in the jungle of our own plants in a a lot of ways. Like even like an example, um, going back in the early days, like you'd hear a researcher say at some facility off the coast of New York. Mm -hmm. right? And then a year, maybe two years later, Montauk. Off the course of you. Right. So that's a very simple switch. And I guarantee you that if we have a name for something, uh, that's a location, it's wrong. Right. Right? Very much like we know with area 51, right. It's like, there's not really anything at area 51. It was the site off site that, you know, Bob Lazar worked for. We found that out too, right? So that's exactly how they work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff is a lot closer to home than people would think. A lot of it's under like soccer stadiums, and shopping malls, and big public places like that, because it makes it a lot harder to find, believe it or not, right? Like, yeah,
0: right under their noses. What about the hierarchy of of this organization i know you mentioned parents something called parents a group called parents the elders and i'm assuming that it doesn't stop at the illuminati i'm assuming there's quite a bit above that too what, what do you know about
1: well the basic structure i mean it's almost defunct now but the one that i wrote about because of what it's been for thirteen thousand years is we were kind of we had i guess the top of that pyramid would have been you know, what we would call an ET species that are called Draco. They are those, that reptilian that everyone's finding, figuring out and that we see through all the mythology and everything else, the snake, the dragon, whatever you want to call that. That's, that's this reptilian species. They haven't been highly involved with us directly for other outside of programs, like things that they do underground, um, for the last 13,000 years, because they learned from a previous experience, um, For people kind of listening to this, if you listen or watch Graham Hancock's newest um, series on Netflix, Ancient Apocalypse, he's kind of talking about this last transition we went through. And if you just replace, you know, um, meteors with some type of weapon we don't understand, Mm. this might all start to make sense. But that's what they did is back then is they created first of all the ice age and then they hyper melted the ice age to create floods and um the stories that we hear in mythology of these gods coming through whether it's the anunnaki which all anunnaki really means is those who came from the sky it's Mm -hmm. not even the name of a race it could have meant 900 races for all we know but that's not what it means but either way it's not the name of a species but that's another example of what has happened is basically the drago had sent the parents out. To um, reboot civilization in various places in the world, and over time that just continued. Um, So that would be at Draco at the top. We have the parents who there are their human-like controllers. So what the parents actually are are humans with some type of life expectancy, life extension technology Mm -hmm. that'll allow them to live through the whole period of time that they were supposed to be useful. So um, give or take that. 13,000, 11,000-year marker. But yeah, they were supposed to be the the kind of um, operators, if you will, on behalf of the Draco. They had what we called covens, which were people who worked directly for them. Mm -hmm. And then below them is where we get into all the secret societies, which then influence, you know, governments, which then influence, you know, banks and everything else, and so on and so on.
0: Interesting. Um, And what... Would, you said the parents were the ones with the, the humans with the life extension technology, right? Yep. So, is there? What is your take on, on on what have you gleaned from all of your knowledge that you've collected on reincarnation? Would these incarnate into something else on a different plane or planet, or is the white light technology trap? I mean, there's lots of different stories going around. Uh, what is your what is your take on all of that?
1: Just on reincarnation in general. Yeah. Yeah okay so yeah reincarnation is a real process that we all do um i I have this phrase where i say the universe views the buyer and seller of lies as equal and so when it comes to something like that white light trap technology Mm -hmm. it's a hole you could potentially fall into and you could convince yourself that you are a victim to but it can't really hold a soul it can't really trap a soul it's almost like we can voluntarily sign up to be recycled not knowing better or not being able to receive better but there's nothing that could come along and say like no you're going in here
3: Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) and this is just it so kind of a variation on the word trap if you will like a trap is something you fall into it's a choice Mm -hmm. you actually make which is a mistake but nothing like that is permanent right so we did have a type of technology here that was that that white light trap technology that people talk about was here was orchestrated by the the draco the draco actually started it to use for themselves so um a soul when it's not incarnated into a body has a certain signature to it it identifies as maybe some type of species so with that in mind there's a lot of nuance to that but just for for our conversation you can have draco souls based on that so souls that were originally incarnated into a draco body maybe their draco body died and they decided to incarnate into a human body so because of the that is essentially what the bloodlines of the illuminati were there to facilitate was so that they had this genetic pool that was comfortable for them to incarnate into gotcha. so that's why the genetics were all really important for mm-hmm. them as well But that's more or less how it would work. And so when a person would die, they could be convinced based on the rhetoric they heard while they were alive that they're supposed to go to the light, they're supposed to go to the light, they're supposed to go to the light, they can be detached from their own higher souls true knowing that that's not what you do Mm. and um they can go to the light and therefore they would end up being recycled by that whereas original the original purpose for that was not even to do that that was kind of like a happenstance for a bonus for them but the idea was to give the draco souls a light to go to so that they could get back in the way that they came out without losing that memory right so um basically once they realized that like human souls would also st- stumble into it they just started using that as their advantage advantage and instead of putting them back into a, a body with full memory they put them back into a body with no memory right mm. so it's and that's just it and then over time because we kept telling that story and they influenced that story of you know go the light, carol, <laughs> <of> <laughs> More and more people started tripping into it, and it got added to our lore because of it, because people were experiencing it and I'm talking about it. Um, I guess Dolores Cannon's work kind of showed it as well, Mm -hmm. um, and other um, types of regression hypnosis have shown it.
0: Before you tell the good people listening uh, where they can find you and your work online, maybe you could tell us who the next president's going to be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't actually know. I, I, I feel like it... I feel like it should be Donald Trump, just because. Yeah, of course, <laughs> um, more chaos. But at the same time, it's like, wouldn't it also be fun to like leave Joe Biden there and just let him die on national television? Yes, day? that might be fun too. So I don't know. They've they've got a lot of options these days. Exactly. I actually don't think we'll make it that far. I don't think that there will be an election. I think something's going to happen between now and then that's going to prevent said election. Really? Um, and I hope I'm wrong. And I hope I'm wrong. So
0: okay, yeah. good. Uh, so not, not something good. No, no. Okay.
1: Uh, but anyway, so where people can find
0: me. So if you, if
1: you do the, the link tree, whatever the beginning of that URL is after mm-hmm. the slash, just Shane underscore Sador with capitals on the two S's, mm-hmm. you'd find all my links. But um on Patreon, it's Shane underscore Sador underscore storyteller. On Instagram, I go by Shaynard Fox. So S-H-A-Y-N-A-R-D-V-O-X um, or The Rebels Advocate also on instagram um facebook it's my name shane bales i think i am on that one and then uh the rebels advocate there's a facebook page for um i have an older youtube channel that's called the ruiner author that you can still find that has a bunch of uh, like older free material on it as well
0: cool and you make music also right
1: i do that from time to time Fantastic. I a while other than just at home with the guitar or whatever but
0: <laughs> cool. Well, uh, maybe you can provide a link or two. Send me, send it to me, and we could throw that in there too, just to promote that if you're up for that. But, sure, Shane. Thanks you. Thanks you. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this. It's been a fantastic chat, eye opening, and uh, very informative and mind blowing all at the same time. Um, and hopefully, you will uh, be up for doing it again sometime down the road. Definitely. Absolutely, guys.
1: Let me know, and cool. we can uh, we can do it again. Fantastic. Nice to meet you guys and everyone Likewise. else out there who uh, I don't already know. Nice to uh, meet everyone, and lots of love and respect. Yes. Thank you
2: so much. Right back at you. We appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, we'll let you know when this goes live. Cool. All right. Bye, everybody.
2: Well, what a weird way to end it. I <laughs> I want to know what this. The, why there's not going to be another fucking election? <laughs>
0: well, I think I do think that that's wise. Um, One, because, I mean, he's got a pretty good idea of of what is unfolding. Uh, But two, you know, possibly also with the knowledge that of seed planting. um, Maybe that's a seed that doesn't need water. And so knowing about it would just possibly, and I'm just conjecting here, start a snowball of whatever, fear, paranoia, that would maybe make that more likely. Whatever that is, who knows?
2: I don't know. Well, the way that that sounded is is that it's a foregone conclusion that it's not really there. Really, isn't a choice or an option that it's already that those wheels are already in motion.
0: We'll see. You I, heard it here first, but
2: I think the distraction is. Um, Trump, I think that that is the distraction is to to think to make a a good segment of the American population, A, believe in elections and B, believe that, oh, now again, we're going back here and this is what's going to fix it, in quotes.
0: With I've heard him say in previous conversations about the the fake alien invasion is that that most likely will not happen. And one of the main reasons that won't happen is because we're talking about it so much. Yeah. So I don't think things are necessarily a foregone conclusion. I mean, unchecked and unchallenged possibly, but so maybe that would be a reason for knowing. Maybe we'll implore him to talk more about that the next time we have him on. But what a great talk. What a great discussion. What?
2: Yeah, it was intense. I, you know, I, I, I hate to feel powerless and I think that that there's the the dichotomy of these types of discussions is that on one on one level it's easy to feel like oh that you know this has been going on for 13,000 years like we don't we we can't really do anything so there's that side of it and then there's the side where I think okay this has been going on for 13,000 years and humans have existed and we have evolved. And, you know, I agree with what he's saying in terms of adaptation that we have the ability to adapt to these, uh, states. And I think that's part of what, where I have, looked at you know gmos and chemtrails and all of the and the poisoning of the waters and and all of these things and i thought well maybe the the thing is to ingest all of these poisons to develop an immunity to these poisons so that you can handle it when you know the next uh, phase of this plan is um is enacted. Like maybe that's part of what we're supposed to be doing is, you know, the weak will die off, but those who are capable of handling, um, all of this toxicity, they'll actually become stronger.
0: Transmuting poison to medicine, but okay. So look at it this way. It's been going on for 13,000 years. Well, we're just now, just now, beginning to sort of poke our heads out of the hole and realize what's going on and waking up. Some of us are waking up and that is unfortunately a very slow process. Fortunately, we do have something like the internet where that can happen quicker. Um, But that's going to take a while. Um, Hopefully it's not a race between destruction and enlightenment. But um, I think that given that, like, it's at least we're moving in that direction. Whereas before, you know, we've been asleep for centuries and now we're starting to wake up, but that, that process is just going to take a little time, but it's inevitable, I believe.
2: Well, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily think that we as a collective have been asleep. I think that there are, there's an ebb and flow of that. So There are people who have been very connected to the earth and the rhythms of the earth and understanding that the magicians that are doing positive magic and they are connected. And then there are people who have just been kind of passive and just kind of allowed things to happen to them and around them. So, I don't necessarily believe that there's an awakening happening. I I think some people have never been asleep.
0: Okay. That doesn't mean that those who have been asleep or more asleep aren't waking up.
2: Right. But maybe they weren't asleep. Maybe they just didn't remember. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're talking semantics here. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I I just think that this... I I get very uncomfortable when we when we use these terms like waking up. It seems very on some level it seems very egotistical like oh I'm awake now. Well, maybe you were always awake. You just didn't you weren't accessing that part of the data.
0: I think that that's I'm describing a process though. I'm not yeah. describing a destination. If I said we're all awake now or we're all enlightened <laughs> like that would say yeah, that would sound a little you know, like we've, we're done, we're done, yeah. we're done growing, we're done yeah. finding out things, we're done learning, but it's not, we're learning, we're awakening up. I mean, what would be a better term?
2: Um, sentience, maybe.
0: We're getting more sentient?
2: We're, we are sentient, we're sentient beings, just meaning like we're, we are, we're all there just there there's a segment of people that are more they're just more dialed into the frequency but we we all have the capacity we're all we're all alive we're all i I don't know I'm I'm not saying it right but you know what I mean for once from uh, a, from a psychic perspective yep. I feel like we're rushed because we have other things to do, so sure, I'm not really able to kind of, like, meander.
0: That, to me, doesn't describe a process, though. I'm just trying to describe a process of, of moving to a place where the awareness is bigger than it was before.
2: Yeah, I and gotcha.
0: With awareness, our minds are able to focus on something different and see the possibility of something completely different happening. Um, a lot of the times, humans kind of just shuffle along through the maze, through the labyrinth, because they don't, they don't know that they can pull back from the labyrinth and see it from on high and get a bigger picture and realize that there's a lot more uh, potential, a lot more things on the menu than they had previously guessed. They just thought it was the two- walls on either side of them on the labyrinth and the place in front of them where they were supposed to be walking. So I was just trying to describe a process of that, pulling back, seeing a bigger picture, realizing things that are happening, uh, which may just be little hints of other things that are happening that we will find out as time goes on and we continue to evolve and expand and hopefully keep learning and, and be driven by our curiosity. So I was just trying to describe a process. Anyway, Shane was great. Very cordial guy. Very, for knowing all that he knows and having experienced all that he experienced, he seems like a very positive person, um, and a good person to deliver this kind of information that can be kind of heavy and dark sometimes.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing we didn't ask that I would be curious about. I mean, there's many, but one thing that that I is being highlighted in my mind is what his relationship is now like does he still have contact yes um with these right but we didn't really delve into
0: that i know but i did research for this and i know in other conversations he brought that up and he does still have contact with some people that are getting out and some people that are still in yeah so that's that is still a thing um It might be a good time to bring up some things that were, did you have something to say to that? No, I just made a face. that we mentioned in the second hour. uh, We talked about um, what he knows of our, and has experienced of our cosmology, our greater cosmology. Um, He describes uh, space travel, but in a a different way than we've been told. We've been led to believe um, going in the context of this cosmology that is different than we've been told.
2: Yep, we talked about the end game. What is the end game? We talked about Kanye and ritual sacrifices.
0: Uh bloodlines, the important uh, importance of bloodlines and genetics.
2: Yep, psychedelics. We t- we dipped our toe back into the the reason why psychedelics are being reintroduced and normalized.
0: The Bible and Jesus. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the Illuminati card deck.
2: Oh, and uh, the giant thing. That was cool. Mm-hmm. The giant thing. We'll <laughs> just leave it at that.
0: Yeah. Ooh, oh, oh, dangling carrots. Talk about dangling carrots.
2: Giants.
0: Uh, ritual sacrifice and celebrities.
2: Cryptids.
0: Normalizing psychedelics.
2: I just said that.
0: Oh, you said psychedelics. <laughs> no, uh, I said normalized. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I did. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, public rituals.
2: Yeah, we talked about that. Um, and also, uh, we talked about Bigfoot and paranormal activity and what that, where that falls in all of this.
0: And, and we talked about love. And what we can oh. do in the face of all this yeah. craziness that's happening and has been happening for quite some time.
2: Oh, and the election. We ended on that, on who would be the next president. Yeah,
0: we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you all so so very much for listening. Hopefully you were able to glean something positive from this and not freak out and and get despondent. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the, that's never the idea of any episode that we do.
2: Well, I think maybe not get freaked out, but I think it, all of these things are a call to action, a call for sure. to Uh, examine your own behavior and how you are engaging with the world on a daily basis, who, who you are in your world. Um, I think that's really what every single one of the conversations that we have is truly about is how present are you? How connected are you? What kind of a person are you and how you are um, embodying that in your, your daily life.
0: How enjoyable is your life review going to be when you pass to the next incarnation to watch? Are you going to cringe? Are you going to go, oh, God damn, I was an asshole doing that. Or are you going to go, I did pretty darn good.
2: Yeah. Or don't, and don't go to the light.
0: Don't go to the light. Yes. That's one of the many, many takeaways. Don't go to the light. No, you are your own light. Exactly. And you can be the light for others too. Bye brightening your own light. If you would like to get a hold of us for uh, guest recommendations, casserole recipes, praise, criticism,
2: just to have a chat.
0: Or chat, just to reach out to another fellow human being who won't judge you. You can contact us at either the Melt Podcast at protonmail.com
2: or Or hunter-muse at protonmail.com.
0: Or go to the MeltPodcast.net and you will find links to all things Melt-related. Uh, thank you all so, so very much for listening, and um, stay tuned for fantastic things to come. Yep. All right. We love you.
2: Meow. Goodbye.
0: To hear the full-length version of this episode, get access to exclusive and early episodes, and participate in our monthly Zoom meetups for as little as $3 per month, Just click the Patreon link in the episode notes or visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast. Contributing financially will help to make this podcast my full-time gig that I can devote more time to and allow me to create more content. Other ways of contributing would be giving us a favorable review or rating wherever you get your podcasts, subscribing to us on YouTube, spreading the word wherever you and your tribe congregate or just by sending us your positive thoughts and intentions in a quantumly intertwined and holographic multiverse these also go a long way thank you